watching Stockwatch with me, Zanati Kuma, and join me to unpack your stock-related questions tonight are Jared Houston from All Weather Capital and Tamsang Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Uh, be sure to send those questions via SMS to 41392, email at stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Thanks so much uh, for your time, Jen. Starting with you, Jared, uh, we have had such... Lovely trading over the past three trading session, sessions and then today comes and we are just sinking into the red. Uh, what do you make of this um, simmering down of positive sentiment today? Uh, even, hi, hi everyone, thanks for having me. Um, I, I think the, the move today must be seen in the context of what's otherwise been a very strong start to the month. I mean, even with the pullback today, about 1.3% or so, the market is still up circa 5% for the month to date. So, you know, market's still performing very, very strongly. Today was probably just uh, taking a breather in terms of that. I mean, obviously some stock-specific news and a lot of news flow, which we'll get into at the stock level, but just a little bit of weakness in the RAND and a bit of risk-off sentiment, taking a bit of profits after what's otherwise been a very, very strong week. Ah, uh, tell me, is there a question now? Because, I mean, we had this strong uh, pullback in uh, U.S. inflation growth. And I'm wondering if at this point, because after that, there was this uh, surety that, you know, the Fed will surely not increase interest rates any further for the rest of this year and that hikes uh, or cuts rather might come earlier than had been anticipated. Is there now maybe more confusion because of some of the strong economic data like retail sales that we had out of the U.S. that's coming through? Yeah, look, the only thing that's certain is death, death and taxes. At this point, hey. uh, volatility is the name of the game. Um, the Fed is looking quite resolute in making sure inflation is is within their target. Um, and they're quite uh, faithful in making sure they follow through on that. Um, so we, in our view, it's a Volcker, Volcker 2.0. The Fed is going to continue to address uh, the inflation regardless of what the markets anticipate or don't anticipate. Um, the history of of the Fed in under under this current administration has shown that they are after inflation regardless. Um, so, so I think uh, trying to to estimate that they will or won't in the future will all really depend on the view their view of inflation going forward. Um, other other than that, I think the the US is more interested in what's happening in Ukraine and Israel um, and trying to resolve that matter than really what's happening in its in its economy per se. Yeah, all right. Well, I mean, we had some very interesting uh, stock moves today. And what I was really surprised by was the investor reaction to Life Healthcare, particularly as it seems in investors had been trading on this, um, their expectations of the transaction for AMG. And finally, it looks like it will be, it might be concluded, uh, obviously, if the authorities, the uh, authorities there uh, approve the uh, deal. But, uh, Jared, uh, I'm wondering why investors reacted the way that they did, even though we have all this cash that's due to come in. So uh, I think, think today's, today's share price move was more about the operational performance than the, the AMG transaction. I think that's 
well flagged now and clear with the circular out. It's just about the approvals that have to come through and the timing of of the return of capital. Mm-hmm. Um, the operating performance in, in today's result was uh, below expectations. I think, I mean, looking at it, I mean, the top line was okay, but I think the margins disappointed. Now, Life Healthcare have signed uh, several network deals with, with some of the medical aids, and what you've seen is, you know, obviously, you give up a little bit on tariffs in terms of that in, in return for what is anticipated higher volumes. And you didn't really see the higher volumes come through to compensate. So you saw quite weak, a weak margin performance. That coupled with uh, the outlook statement, which hasn't really guided for, for margin uptick from this point, I think has led to a reset of some of the numbers and estimates in the market, which has dragged it down. But a bit of disappointment on the operating performance, I think, led to the weakness. Mm. I'm also wondering, Tammy, then, if this reaction is based on the uh, operational performance, if maybe in Investors think that there is a better opportunity somewhere in that healthcare sector, particularly uh, net care, seeing as after AMG, life healthcare will basically kind of be similar to, to net care. Yeah, I think it's a case, again, of what Jared said. It's an operator's view. At the end of the day, the, the acquisition of the infrastructure uh, is all about making sure you service patients appropriately in a profitable way, partnering well with the in the medical insurance providers and making sure there's a, re, a relative sense of of profits there uh, it's a difficult business uh, especially that is reliant on people not necessarily being healthy uh, and and capitalizing on that uh, the model is in competition in reality with medical insurance because the medical insurers don't want to put out the money so so in essence you are competing with their profits so it's a very difficult business model um, and needs expert operators. So expansion does not always result in profits. Uh, in fact, in some cases, it may even result in losses. So I think it comes down to the market's view of an operator. Um, there's a few who are out there who can compete, uh, but at the end of the day, um, will life be able to ensure they can operate even post-acquisition? That's yet to be seen. Ah, all right. Well, uh, quite interestingly, the uh, as much as the JSC is under pressure, we did see the resources uh, complex actually being the one backing that trend. And we are seeing the platinum stocks actually performing uh, quite well today. There is a question on them. Uh, out of all the platinum shares, which one would you buy? Um, okay, let's, let's, let's start off with that one. Which one would you buy, Jared? I'm, I'm, I'm no platinum expert, but what I would say, I mean, cl- clearly there's been a lot of pressure in terms of the PGM baskets. I mean, I think the structural issues are, are well understood in terms of demand and what um, infiltration of EV vehicles do to our future prospects in, in terms of the pricing outlook. So clearly the pressure has resulted in a lot of uh, share price retracement among the names this year. Uh, if, if I was going to buy one of the platinum names, I think I'd be sticking to the high higher quality names within the space, those with the stronger balance sheets and the lower cost of production. Something like Northern would probably stand out to me, but again, I'm no expert in the space. Ah, and I actually see that uh, out of the ones that have really performed well here, we have Amplats and we also have Impala. And on that, the second part of the question, Tammy, is, uh, is Impala a buy on a three-year outlook? Uh well, you can never say yes or not that no one has a crystal ball about the future. But you have to look at the investment dynamics. They're a good company, but uh, opportunity cost. Uh, my preference is Sibanya uh, because they are more diversified. 
uh, they have more assets in terms of uh, other commodities outside platinum. So if I would be looking for a platinum play, but I'd also be looking for some diversification in that. If you're going for pure platinum play, I'd be going for Mplat. I think they are a more reliable source uh, of, of profits and of dividends. I think that's a, a better look for me. Um, so I wouldn't look for in the basket of single uh, producers of platinum, I would probably go for Mplat's Yeah, all right. Um, Jared, you say that you're not a, uh, a PGM person. Would you be a gold person? Because uh, Goldfields came out with its operational update today. And I actually wasn't quite sure if um, it got caught up in the, the red screens that we were seeing or if investors were genuinely worried about what they came out with. So they said that they reported lower production, a higher cost, but saying that they do maintain their guidance for the full year. We did see at some point, although it ended off flat, at some point that share price slumping 4%. What do you think about gold fields at this point? Uh, I mean, I think you summed up the operating update quite well there. I mean, production was was well done with costs up, but, but encouragingly, at least the guidance for the full year was maintained. And gold fields, I mean, has been a strong performer year to date on a relative basis to some of the other gold names. So I think a little bit of pressure uh, that you saw this morning was, was related to the underperformance in terms of the update. But um, it did retrace that quite quickly during the course of the day. It still lagged uh, something like Harmony on the day, which was interesting just to note the relative performance among the names. But I'd say, I mean, Goldfields probably has had a strong run. It's still a very, very well-run company uh, within the space and, and one of the preferred players. I would just question the relative outperformance to this point and whether something like Anglo Gold is due for a bit of a catch-up. Ah, Tammy, does gold glitter or not when it comes to Goldfields? <laughs> Again, uh, as a single producer, they are outstanding, I will say. Uh, but uh, I'm not a single commodities guy, so I'd fall back again to to <laughs> to Sivanye or something similar of that nature, which is more diversified, founded exposure to gold. Uh, I think the one, the single commodity exposure is too high. Um, you, you are subject to one commodity, one price, and regardless of the operation. You're yeah, really betting on the future of one thing, and that's all eggs in one basket. Whereas there are other alternatives uh, to in the mining space, which provide you a more diversified option. Ah, uh, all right. Uh, quite an interesting question here, and it was actually for David because he was on yesterday. But I thought, you know, instead of uh, the viewers waiting for David for next week, let me also just put this question to you guys. And it's on Man United. Um, is Man U a buy <laughs> with Chief Executive stepping down and Radcliffe buying 25% share? This is way out of my scope. Uh, <laughs> Jared, do you look at Man U? I'm certainly a fan of the English Premier League, not a fan of Man United by any stretch, though. Uh, so I think that would bias any opinion I have on, on the quality of the investment. What I would say is, I mean, clearly the Glazers are still controlling shareholders despite uh, the new investment. Uh, the listing is, is, is obviously a minority stake as well, so I'm not really well placed uh, to provide a valuation or any opinion on that. Uh, Tammy, <laughs> I've been seeing um, you nodding so, there. So. <laughs> So, mm -hmm. so sports investing is quite a unique sector. I think the money is made on the sale. Uh, and as a result, you, if you're buying, you're, you're in business speculating that Radcliffe is actually going to buy the whole business at a particular price. Uh, and that's a, it's pure speculation, so you have no idea. Uh, the fundamentals of a listed sports team is that the, the sport comes first before the commerce. 
Um, so as a result, you're not necessarily going to get any real value in investing in the shares, per se. Um, unfortunately, sport, uh, sport teams uh, are only valuable to the person who, buy, who sells. Um, and until you know whether the Glaciers are selling or not, and what's the future of Man United, as a commercial entity, they are very strong. I think it's all, they estimate about 680 million supporters globally. Uh, so they've got the numbers to be a very strong commercial entity. But for you to actually extract that value for yourself as a shareholder is very hard, very difficult. Most clubs run at losses. So uh, I would say no, it's a, it's, a, it's a bad investment outside the fact that I heavily dislike Man United. <laughs> There have actually been quite a number of company news coming out of the JSC. And Investec came out with its uh, interim numbers today. Um, I feel like not really much of a surprise because their client base is seen as the resilient segment of the uh, population and obviously benefiting from uh, the high interest rates. It was also quite interesting to see the strong uh, loan growth that they had. Um, at some point, markets dumped the stock, but it was about 2%. But um, I think it didn't end off the day off too low what did you make of those numbers i think in the current market those are great numbers um especially given that they are quite a niche operator they are not broad in the sense of they don't address a large portion of the market in comparison to their competitors um their uk business is doing really well that growth i think it was 8.6 percent in their net income um, they're doing really well in the UK, which is a good thing, diversify in terms of earnings. Um, and they continue to show resilience. I think they're addressing their market well. I think they've got great innovative products. Uh, they continue to grow their revenue, their net income, their headlines, earnings per share, um, which is a, is, a, is a great look. Um, I don't know how that is seen in terms of the share price of the, of the company, especially with dual-listed shares. Um, which entity is more valuable and why, um, and is, is the is the valuation appropriate based on the two markets. But mm. as a business, I think they are performing well in a very difficult environment uh, where a lot of banks are taking headwinds with, with uh, their lending, uh, especially on the mortgage side. Um, they, they seem to be quite strong and they have addressed, uh, again, as you said, a strong part of the market. Yeah. Jared, do you think that there should be kind of uh, a separation in investor appetite when you look at Investec versus your normal South African banks? I think you have to view it slightly differently. I mean, roughly half of the business is, is, is offshore. So it's I mean very much uh, a split story now in terms of the, the, the two businesses. Mm. Agree with the comments. I thought the results were very strong in both territories. I mean, the business has continued to execute well in the last few years in terms of cleaning up some of the uh, non-core assets, uh, lowering some of the costs and a much greater focus on uh, returns in the business. And you've consistently seen a period on period improvements acro across the different entities. I mean, they've done a very uh, interesting transaction in the UK with their wealth business combining with Rathbones to create one of the largest wealth players in the discretionary market. So it's really going to be interesting to see how that business progresses and whether it does take further market share. But I think the business is well placed uh, in terms of the execution, if they can carry on doing what they're doing. Um, they do have a strong client franchise and continue to grow in the areas that they play in. Ah. Well, um, another business that is quite diver diversified is Amira, uh, going to property now um, with its 
has obviously its local exposure and its U.S. exposure, but uh, quite interesting that uh, the U.S. exposure always seems to kind of lift up the, the company, but now they also had uh, challenges there with uh, bankruptcies of some of their tenants. Uh, Tami, do you look at Amira? I'm not the property guy, so <laughs> I'd be the wrong person to, to talk about this. I think I'll, refer, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to Jared. Okay, okay, Jared? Sure. I, I thought Emira's results were, 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 were very solid. I mean, I think there's a, there's a challenge in terms of comparability. They have changed the year end, so yeah. it makes the job for us analysts quite hard in terms of comparing period on period. Like you called out, I think you mean something to watch is the tenant failures in the US and perhaps some signs of weakness in that business. But the SA business looked like a pretty solid performance. I mean, vacancies under control and then reversions reducing in terms of the, the negative scope of, of, of that. So we've seen a couple of property companies report today. I think it's interesting to compare and contrast. Um, Investic Property Fund, renamed as Burnstone, also reported today. I thought they delivered solid results um, in the bulk of the businesses in uh, businesses split um, between SA and then a European logistics business now. But the SA business, I thought across its uh, sectors, performed very well and continue to execute re reducing vacancies and cleaning up some of the non-core assets in the portfolio. The European logistics business has been in a little bit of a sweet spot in terms of what you've seen from rental growth in that space. A little bit of a caution now in terms of cap rates because of how much we've seen interest rates move up. So it's yeah. a concern a little bit, the funding cost pressure that business might face in a few years and then what happens to cap rates going forward. But operationally, they seem to be well-placed and executing well. Yeah. And lastly, we, we also saw an rock cost or release an update today the retail focused eastern european property company delivered very strong operating performance i mean this is a business I mean, it's got a highly dominant centers uh, it's got a very strong balance sheet and it continued to deliver uh, a strong result i mean if you look at like for like tenant sales over the nine month and nine months in the business were up 14 percent so it gives you a sense of, of, of how well uh, that market is performing particularly the centers in which it operates well, Jared, just sticking to you, I mean, all these that you mentioned where the, there's really positive results coming through and they're diversified geographically. Um, would you say that there is, um, there should be maybe more appetite for the ones that are diversified, um, yeah, compared to the ones that are solely focused on South Africa? I, I think, you I mean, if we look historically at the property sector in SA, we had large diversified players. And then maybe in the last five years or so, there's been a move towards specialist focus um, niche players. I mean, if you just think about specialist logistics players like Equitas mm. or Storage uh, that specializes in, in storage specifically. There are still good diversified uh, companies uh, in our space. I mean, growth, growth Point and Redefine come to mind. It does provide a bit of a benefit where one sector isn't performing well. You've got a bit of an offset. You've also got geographical diversification with helps in terms of currency and some specific SA pressures. So I think there's probably a place for both. Mm -hmm. I mean, the speciality uh, players, I mean, have clearly got an advantage in terms of their operating ability and know-how in some of the space. And I think that's why they've probably performed better so far. But when, when the pressure does turn up on your specific sector, there's almost no place to go. So you need a bit of diversification. I'd say there's a place for both. Uh, all right. Well, looking at the uh, some of the major moves on the JC today, um, it's quite interesting to see that Woolies has continued um, with its uh, share price pressure, even today uh, declining by 5%. Of course, this is after uh, they released that uh, update uh, yesterday. Uh, Tammy, 
I mean, with Woolworths, I, I think the general consensus was was that you know after David Jones that the the company would would start firing on, but it seems that that is not the case because they are still left with some challenges uh, in South Africa. So talk to me about you know this pressure that we're seeing on on Woolies and if it maybe provides an opportunity or if there's really some some serious concern there. Uh, unfortunately, you can't uh, you can't outrun uh, the macro trends. Uh, the way the economy is structured right now, especially with consumers and uh, and the target market they're going for, uh, we've now got to the point where we see Maguinias and Woolworths. Uh, I think uh, we've got to look at the stock and the company in terms of are they able to address the market and can the market continue to shop robustly at their stores. Um, they've got a good broad range between the food and the clothing. Um, as well as the financial services in the background. But unfortunately, the, they can't outrun the macroeconomic environment and it's going to continue to be quite harsh going forward for their target consumer. Um, it's easier for consumers to go elsewhere for cheaper and more affordable uh, food, food and clothes. And when the disposable income grows, they come back. So un unlike uh, their the counterparts in Vestic, uh, doesn't have the same stickiness in consumers as other retailers like ShopRite and Pick and Pay do. Uh, so, so I think they're suffering from chasing the macroeconomics, uh, which are quite harsh on the consumer right now. Yeah, they can't outrun macro uh, the macro economy, but they also uh, can't outrun Transnet because they did have some issues there with delays on uh, some of the, the the summer clothing ranges. Um, Jared, your your take on on Woolworths at this point? Uh, I think I broadly agree with with the with the comments. I mean, I think I mean the the food business has been a strong performer for a while, but it's starting to face a bit of pressure now on that high end consumer, uh, particularly facing some pressure from the likes of Shoprite that are starting to eat into that space with a very compelling uh, offering that is that is starting to clearly make some inroads. So I think that that's one pressure point. There'll, there'll always be question marks. I think about the. Uh, clothing business and its uh, ability to turn around both in SA and then offshore. So I think there's still questions that remain in terms of the business and, and, and the turnaround capability plus potentially the, the food business speaking from here. So remain, remain doubtful on that one. Uh, all right. Well, something that you guys are sold on, uh, your stock picks for today. Tell me, what will it be? MTN, I think uh, they stand to have a good good uh, uh, movement in the market especially around their mobile money if you see their comparative um pesa made about 300 billion dollars in total transactions last year and mtn is also moving into that direction um so i think uh, over the next sort of six months we're going to see a good a good a good rebound and a good uh, sustainable growth trend in this ah, all right uh, and on your side jared what are you hanging your hat on today uh, my stock pick is uh, process uh, so the viewers oh. probably more familiar with uh, Naspers, uh, but Process, the offshore uh, listed leg of the uh, holding company with its main asset being uh, Tencent. So Tencent reported yesterday, um, clearly Chinese shares have been under pressure with, with the low sentiment for, for some time. But I think if you look at the, the nature of the results, they were particularly strong. I mean, this is a business that delivered uh, um, double-digit revenue growth in a very difficult macro context and on top of that very impressive gross margin expansion good control of costs and saw earnings growth north of 30 percent 
uh, and free cash flow growth well above that. So business that's executing well in high quality revenue streams in defensive areas at high margins with potential for international expansion, particularly on the game side. So I think they are a leader in a number of areas, particularly on the games development, the AI models still coming into the software development side of the business as well. So that, that's particularly impressive and at quite a depressed uh, rating given, given the Chinese sentiment at the moment. Then on the process leg, you've got them reporting in a, in a couple of weeks time. I mean, lots of skepticism about capital allocation and management for some time has seen the discount drift wider. Uh, but what you're starting to see is a narrowing of losses of the other businesses uh, and, bus- and, the, uh, and the group really starting to pull back and rationalize on costs. So I think the drive towards profitability and the non-Tencent assets pulling back on the whole co-costs and hopefully some further crystallizations and realizing or value of some of the um, more non-core investments sees further returns to shareholders. There's obviously a strong buyback uh, at the moment in the market and hopefully we see enhanced shareholder returns elsewhere. Ah, all right. Sounds like a pitch yeah, to Tabby. Tencent. Yeah, yeah. I, was like, I was like, Tabby, that all, was it a regret that you didn't choose process? <laughs> no, not at all. I think uh, I'm now proud buying Tencent. Uh, I don't know if I want Bob and Doug and these guys in between me and the profits. Uh, that's another good pitch for Jensen, I will say. Uh, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your analysis today, Jens. Appreciate it. That is all for Stockwatch this evening. Thanks to our guests, Jared Houston from uh, All Weather Capital and Tamsan Laneta from Shiloh Capital. Up next, the close. Stay with us.